Very good morning and happy Sabbath. I would like to uh, preface my uh, sermon with a couple of statements. Uh, firstly, it is in uh, recognition of a global event that is marked actually on the 10th of October, which is World Mental Health Day. Um, I think it is quite, um, you know, a development that we can talk about mental health over the pulpit. It has been something that um, perhaps it's a stigma, a taboo, and we are addressing it today. And I thought it good also, um, particularly when we are looking at what's going on around us. And coupled with the fact that we are people of faith, or actually, we are supposed to be people of faith. And people of faith are supposed to be faithful, strong, powerful, and all that stuff, right? And when it doesn't happen, how does that make you feel? And so I thought it good to address that portion today. There will be perhaps some doubts that people might have already because in just revealing that I am feeling down or I am not feeling good might be acknowledgement of, uh, acknowledgement of um, my weakness, my lack of faith. So I want to just assure you and tell you, no, that's not true. That is not true. And so today, I thought it good that we would take an example from Scripture. Not the entire um, portion, but just one take of an episode that happened to a hero of faith. Alright, so the subtitle of this uh, sermon is you know, keeping faith when you don't feel right. If you don't feel right, let's, let's see, you know, I have two um, maybe survey information that we can make reference to, and that is a Gallup. You know, Gallup is like the world's uh, prominent survey taker, poll maker, and all that. In 2020, last year, they surveyed. And this is a well-being survey that they do regularly. In 2020, they polled around the world and found that almost 7 in 10 reported that they were struggling or suffering. 7 in 10. So I'm here facing an audience of quite a number. Online, I don't know. But 7 in 10 reported that they've struggled and suffered. But perhaps some of you may say, no, this is global. What about Singapore? Okay, here's Singapore. In September 21, now this was just before the, the current round of heightened restrictions. 
Of course, a lot of people are waiting for 12 noon today. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but prior to that, what we are currently going through, Straits Time polled 1,000 people. But they made sure that this 1,000 was representative. So it was randomized, it was stratified, and it represented residents in Singapore above the age of 16. So we take it as is validated to that extent. 76% reported feeling sad or depressed. Now I'm guessing, I'm assuming here, that some of us here perhaps are part of the 76%. Now, I'm not saying that we should boldly say, no, 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 we have faith. We are the 24%. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not. I'm guessing that some you know, of us have gone through a really, really tough time and struggled. And 65% felt lonely. 65% felt lonely. Now, wow. In a year that where a lot of corporation offices working from home, at home you felt lonely. <laughs> well, not surprising sometimes. Seeing too much of your spouse, maybe. <laughs> no, we don't want to go there, but I'm just saying that. Just saying that. Felt isolated, maybe. Yeah, it is jala. So, so what do we do about it? That is just stating the obvious. And so I'm thinking, um, I, I thank Pastor James for this opportunity. So I'm going to be bold and use this pulpit responsibly and uh, speak to it with candor. All right? Um, what is faith? And so, I thought it good that um, maybe checking with you, how are you feeling? How are you all feeling? Now, it's very hard, I know, I, I can only see your eyes. <laughs> and I know when some of you smile, I, I can't see them either. <laughs> right, but, but how are you feeling? I'm, I'm glad that um, we have this opportunity together just to tackle this, this issue. And, and perhaps take our example from Elijah. And, and I want to challenge you and I want to invite you. Uh, I'm going to go through three chapters from Elijah. In fact, 1 Kings, um, the book of 1 Kings, uh, three chapters, uh, 17 through 19. But I'm not going to go through every verse because I just want to focus on that prophet, that you know, strong prophet Elijah and what he went through. So if you have your Bible app or you have your Bible, you want to follow through with me, just three chapters, not going through everything. I'm just going to do summary and then make some conclusions and then apply in our lives, okay? So, you know, Elijah, that brave, courageous prophet who ministered in a time where it was so, so tough with Ahab on the helm, ruled almost by Jezebel, right? And, and all that, and what does it mean for the people of God, 
All right, so, so if you could just flip in, I'm just going to jump in. 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And we're going to quickly rush through. I'm just going to give you a summary, right? This is not a sermon on Elijah per se, but on the episode that had Elijah expressing his true feelings. And so, in chapter 17, we come to the point where Elijah confronts King Ahab and proclaims a drought. And then he disappears. <laughs> because Ahab was looking for him, that troublemaker. God told him, God told Elijah to go east and take refuge outside of Israel. Firstly, firstly he went and in the place called the Kerif Revin, where God sent an unclean animal, a raven, ravens actually, to feed him. Delivery service. The first grab food service that was mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> there was a bird that dropped meat, food, morning and evening, two times a day. And for water, he drank from a brook. Until he dried up because of the drought, and God told him, no, let's now go down to Zarephath at Sidon. And there he lived with a widow and a son. So it's interesting because during this time, during this drought, Ahab right, was just confronted with a national problem. Even though all right, Jezebel worshipped Baal, which is known as the god of fertility, that God that provides agriculture success, it was a flop. It was a failure for three years. There was nothing. And that was to show how, how powerful Baal was. Not powerful at all. It was impotent, actually, in the face of God's declaration of a drought. And God arranged such that Elijah will be attended to by non-believers, by unclean animals. Now, today's sermon is not about to exegete that, but there is a sermon there. Right? Maybe one day I'll come back and preach about it, but today is not the day. Today we're going to look at what happened to Elijah. Right? So in the course of time, three years of doubt, drought, very long, very, very tough. That's when it's supposed to come to an end. And so, we quickly run through, in the third year of the drought, Elijah confronts Ahab and instructs him to call for an assembly of the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He challenges them to have the sacrifice consumed by fire, not made by human hands. And then, whole of Israel were gathered there to choose. It was a very surreal scene, if you can look through in 18. Not, not a pleasant one, but yet, the whole of Israel gathered there. And they could see for themselves what a sight. 850 prophets gathered together, jumping around like monkeys, crying out, cutting themselves. It was a scene that they've never seen before. The total abject failure of the 
prophets of a God that was supposed to provide fertility and provision. Nothing. Zero. Prophets shouted until they were hoarse. Nothing they could do. Nothing. What a sign. Prophets failed miserably. So it's Elijah's turn. At the end of the day, Elijah's turn. Elijah had the altar of the Lord repaired. So this is significant. Right in that sermon, if, if I am invited back to do, I will talk about that. The altar of the Lord, he repaired in front of their eyes to see the altar that has been left in disrepair. He repaired. Surrounded it and thoroughly soaked it with water. Thoroughly soaked it. So it cannot be disputed that he just came out, no, somebody cheated. No, 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 thoroughly soaked. And he calls down fire. And it totally consumes the sacrifice and licks up all the water. What a sight to behold. Right? What a sight to behold. And, and so, what happened after that? Elijah makes a call and the people then declare their allegiance to the Lord. They were treated to a fantastic sight. Something that happened that they've never imagined could happen before their eyes. Now, the next thing that happened was not very pleasant, um, but it's in the Bible. It's stated in, uh, in chapter 18 that then Elijah orders the execution of the prophets of Baal. They were slaughtered there. Not a pleasant sight. Not a sight that you would see in worship service. Right? If you were to have a worship service, we call an altar call here, and those who come forward, saved. Those who are remaining behind, we slaughter. Yeah. Now Pastor James is getting worried. It won't happen. But I'm just telling you, put yourself back to that time. What a sight. I don't know. I, I think I will be crying away at the loss of life. Wouldn't you? Right? It, it, it cuts down deep. And, and you would think that it will, it, will, it will just hit your gut. Correct? So now Elijah then declares to Ahab, the drought is coming to an end. He ascends Mount Kamal and he prays for rain. But there was no sign to be seen, except only in the seventh look. And that again also got meaning, but in that sermon that I'm going to do then, We'll talk about it. But for now, no. All the time, he asks his servant to look out. Nothing. You know, he's beginning to feel, are you sure? But on the seventh look, a cloud, the size of a man's hand. The Lord is coming. You see the connection? The Lord is coming. The size of a man's hand. And then he instructs Ahab to chariot to Jezreel, some distance away. But he ran before the chariot. What? Did, did we miss that? Elijah got up and ran before the chariot. Uh, chariot is not a car, but it's ridden by a horse. Can you outrun a horse? What was Elijah thinking? What did he eat? What did he drink? He went. All right? So, so the, you imagine the scene. Imagine... The rush, imagine all the adrenaline that's, that's, you know, feeding through Elijah's 
veins. And so Ahab had to account to the real ruler, Decibel. Okay, I'll say it as it is. Ahab was a king, but no, it was Jezebel. And so Ahab told Jezebel the whole thing. I'm not sure how long he took to tell, but it ended with something that's not very pleasant. Oh, by the way, Jezebel, all, all your prophets, gone, slaughtered. Jezebel is not moved. I mean, I'm just saying, a normal human being hearing that life loss in that manner, you would feel something, but Jezebel cannot be moved. Instead, she issues a death threat to Elijah. Now, this is strange. Why issue a death threat? Right, but then again, this sermon today is not about that. But why issue a death threat? Because he, she even sent a messenger to threaten Elijah. If she wanted Elijah dead, just go and send a messenger and kill him. Why send a message? By the way, P.S., tomorrow, if you're around, you'll be dead. Why? Something for you to think about. But today is not that sermon, right? Elijah fled. Now imagine that Elijah who ran before the chariot, that Elijah who caught down fire, when he heard that news, he fled. He ran off with his servant to Bathsheba, which is the southernmost tip of the land of Israel. And he ran. And there at Bathsheba, left the servant there, and he went for another day. Just keep on running, right? In the fold, you will see in, in the first Kings, right? And we're coming, we're coming to that episode where he deals with his own feelings, all right? So, by then, having had all the things that happened, Elijah was completely exhausted, and that's when he declares his depression, ready to give up. He falls asleep, he's awakened, and he's ministered to by an angel. He eats and he falls asleep again, to be awakened and fed again. Right? So just, can you imagine that scene? What was on his mind? Keep on running. It was an ultra marathon. He ran and ran and ran. Dropped off his, you know, servant so that he can be on his own. And he went on for the day. And what did he feel? What did he feel? Right? And we know, okay, we shall take a look at that later, but after he ate again, he then proceeded for 40 days and 40 nights. Sounds 40 days, 40 nights? Sounds very similar? So, okay, yeah. That's for the other sermon, yeah? <laughs> but that's when the word of God confronts him. What are you doing here? And then God meets him. Right, so I'm going to, to, drive, to, to, to dive into that portion and, talks about, and talk about this part. Elijah then tells God how he feels. We're going to take a look at that verse. All right? And then God instructs him, and then God declares 
he has reserved 7,000. Okay, a bit more, a bit later. But let's look at Elijah's condition. Because in verse 4 of chapter 19, it is stated that he prayed that he might die and he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. What happened? There could be several ways of looking at it. Firstly, we can say that, wow, he was so afraid, he was so afraid of the threat by Jezebel that he ran off. Possible. But why was he afraid? Why was he afraid? He had caught down fire from heaven. He had implored God and God listened to him, consumed the sacrifice in front of the whole of Israel. And yet, when the mere word that was spoken by Jezebel, no doubt she was queen, she had that power, no doubt, but she was in God. Elijah lost his faith. Elijah fled. Could be many reasons. It could be because he felt really hoping that Jezebel would have listened at least and repent her ways. Didn't. Maybe he felt really, really down because we, we get a clue here because he's saying, I am no better than my father's. I, I failed. I am not worthy. He might as well take my life. Now I'm going to pause here from this um, discourse and just ask and speak to ourselves. Any one of you here, and perhaps those who are listening, ever felt that way? To the point where you say, that's it. I can see no way out. I've enough. I give up. Lord, take my life. If you have, and if you feel that dissonance, maybe a, a voice speaking to you and say, but how can you be like that? You are a Christian. Where's your faith? And then you feel worse. It doesn't make you feel better. Right? And I can tell you offhand, October, I think, is also the month for appreciating our clergy. Right? Is it still celebrated? Yeah. Because clergy are not exempted from depression. I can tell you that. But yet, they are possibly dealing with the idea of the expectations on them. I must be. But deep down, it cuts. So we have Elijah as an example. So we're going to study a little bit more about that. Why, why possibly did he go through that? Okay, now, now see the difference. Verse 4 happened before his 40 days, 40 nights. Right? He took the food and then he declared. 
But let's look, because he declares further, in verse 10 and verse 14, he repeats this. He says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I am the only one, Lord, speaking for you now. I am the only prophet. And now they want to take my life. But it's interesting that in verse 10, in verse 14, he doesn't say, take my life, Lord, because I'm not worthy. There's a switch. I believe 40 days, what was he doing 40 days, 40 nights? A lot of time to think. Making his way to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, making his way there, he could think. And he put away that first thought he had, Lord, take my life. There was something. He had rested and he had taken God's food. That's the difference. He had rested and he had taken God's food. And somehow he could think, but yet he still felt he failed his mission. But no longer was he thinking, Lord, take my life. Maybe I'll speak a little bit more about it later, but I'm just saying this subtle difference that has happened. And then, let's look. He really felt overwhelmed. He felt worthless. He felt all alone. Now, I'm just wondering, you know the survey that was done by Straits Times? Right? See any common thread? Yeah? There were many, many people who felt alone, isolated, and desperate. Some of you know that in my current work, I lead out a social service agency, but I also do a fair bit of uh, suicide first aid intervention. And in the course of this pandemic, I had to do a few. I had to ask my friends who were feeling down, and somehow in the social media, at least for one of them, he posted, and I immediately intervened to find out. All this he felt. Overwhelmed. Lost his job. Couldn't find anything. Worthless, because in the midst of the pandemic, he went through a divorce. Fantastic. All alone, don't have to say. But in social media, he had a lot of people reaching out to him. And I would say, Christians, people of faith, we are not exempted from it. What do we do then? What can we do? All right. Why did he feel that way? Okay, let's, let's take a few factors. All right? Possible factors may not be it, but I'm just going to put down acceleration, expectations, and exhaustion. All right? So we're just going to look quickly into all this. Okay? Acceleration is what happened. You know, wasn't Elijah at a mountaintop? He was. No pun intended, right? He was there at the mountain. But that victory he achieved for God is tremendous, right? The people could see, and all the people said, yes, we will choose God. It was so high. It's so high an experience. And he went down. So something to, to watch, particularly those of you who have, you know, 
you do lots of stuff, and you run an event maybe, and it's a big event, at the end of the day, you feel so lousy. Because it's like, it's over. Whatever you've been gearing up for, your adrenaline is all pumped up, and then you deliver it, it was well, it was good, good feedback and all that, and then after that, nothing. Then you go, phew, free fall. Yeah? It's common. So one of the things I will normally recommend is that you put in days of rest. And later I'll tell you what kind of rest you put in. After, if you, if you do big events or if you do big stuff and all that, plan in some days of rest because that is important. And to deal with that. Because high and then go down low, that difference is so stark that suddenly you feel like your life sucked up from you and you feel, oh, I have nothing to look forward to. Right? And then you're stuck in the rut. But a quote, right? I haven't verified it, but it says by Winston Churchill, mountaintops inspire leaders, but valleys mature them. But during that valley, you need to have someone guide you with that. Expectations. This has a lot to do with what you want. It could be, it could be that Elijah expected that Ahab, after retelling all that happened to Jezebel, Jezebel will be like, oh, oh, I see. God is great. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. He probably felt, oh. are you having a lot of expectations? Are you looking for a lot of stuff? No, I'm not telling you don't have any expectations that you won't be disappointed, but you know, it's good to dream, it's good to aspire, but when it doesn't happen, what do you do with them? All the time. Deal with rejections. Right? I'm not sure how many of you are in sales or marketing. When I was younger, I started my career in door-to-door sales, selling cockroach traps. <laughs> Auntie, you want to buy? Your house got cockroach? Good. Have. I got something good for you, one. And auntie will look and say, no, free I take. What you feel like, you know? What expectation you get rejected all the time? But in sales, our sales supervisor tells us, don't worry. You need to make 100 calls and you sell one, understand? Go, 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 the next one, 99, 100, yeah, I sell one. And so that's our expectations. But what expectations do you have? So sometimes we create our own heartbreaks through expectations. So something to calibrate there. And this one, it's a real thing. Exhaustion. I'm going to ask you, and you don't have to answer, how many of you in the past week, regularly, daily, have had more than eight, nine hours of sleep? And you're all shaking your head. Not possible. Well, that's the average that you need. You get exhausted. When you're exhausted, your mind cannot think properly. And when you can't think properly, you feel lousy. And when you feel lousy, you think lousy. And when you think lousy, you feel, you know how it goes on. Because you're simply exhausted. When you need to sleep, you sleep. Full stop. And don't feel guilty about it. 
And I know sometimes, as a pastor before, we conducted prayer meetings, and some people go there and sleep. It's all right. You start praying at night, and in the morning you wake up, you say, Amen. It's all right. That's a prayerful sleep. It's all right. It's okay. And sometimes pastors, and you can, you can verify Pastor James, you look around during sermon, people sleep. It's all right. If you need to sleep, you sleep. Right? So, exhaustion. And so, God knows. God gave to Elijah food and tell him to go sleep. When he wakes up, then he addresses it. So the antidote now. Three quick ones. A prayerful rest, perspectives, and purpose. What's prayerful rest? And goes back to the whole thing then about are you making time for prayerful rest? First, there is a physiological sleep that you need. When I say prayerful rest, you are resting with the idea that you are also reflecting with what God wants you to do. And you pray. The Sabbath is an example that God has already instituted the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? It's not something new. It's there. It's just that we don't practice it. So are you making time for prayerful rest? Elijah had to do it. Elijah had a lot of time to think. He had the good nutrition. He had a lot of space to think then. Prayerful rest. Next one is very powerful. Perspectives. Perspectives deal with the expectations that we have. Whose perspective are you taking in? In Elijah, he saw it He's the only one. No one else is there to fight for God. But what did God tell him? I have 7,000. Now, have you figured out why God told him 7,000? Seven? Number of? Perfection. Seven. 1,000? Okay, in the Greek, it just simply means a lot. So, God's perfection amplified. So, where he was wallowing in the idea that God, I'm all alone, I'm all, God said, quiet, I have 7,000. I have perfect provisions amplified for you. It all depends on where are your eyes. Where are your eyes? Are your eyes on you? Or are your eyes on God and what he has provided for you? Even during this time of pandemic, you do not know. It's so uncertain. And we are wondering all the time, but listen, listen to what God has promised. Taking from Elijah's example, 7,000, 7,000. God's blessings, perfect, amplified, multiplied, waiting for us, waiting for us. Where are your eyes fixed on? So that is perspective. And the final one. God then challenges Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you hoping to get? And then God provides a purpose for him. 
God then says, go back, go and anoint this king, appoint your successor, go back. God told him God's purpose. And so I want to challenge us, even as we close this sermon, to think about it. If you are confronted by something so big, so devastating, that it sucks the life out of you, hold first. If you need to, get some sleep first. Recalibrate. Check in God's perspectives for you and believe His promises for you. Baby, your eyes are on the wrong place. Move away from your own self. Look at what God has provided and fulfill His purpose for you. May the Lord bless you and guide you with this. Amen. receive the benediction. May the Almighty Lord 
bless you as you go forth from wherever you are in this time of crisis, in this time of uncertainty. May His promises fill your heart with just the anticipation, the optimism and the faith that you need that you may then share with those around the love of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.